Welcome to Beyond the Pink Cloud, the podcast where we talk about moving forward in our lives through recovery and navigating the world with grace, ease, and humor. We've got tools and strategies from the experts to help you live with less stress and increased ease. Let's get into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and welcome back for another awesome episode of Beyond the Pink Cloud. You're going to love this episode so much. I really loved the interview, and it was with Dr. Tammy Roth, who is an amazing woman who does a a plethora of really awesome things. I'll link her website so you can go and check her out. She works with empaths as she identifies herself as being a highly sensitive person. And I think empaths get or have this perspective that it's almost like a bad thing to be very empathetic or to feel a lot of things. I hear this a lot from women in my community that, oh, I feel so much. I can't really shut it off. I need to protect myself. I certainly relate. I'm an, I'm an empathetic person myself. I'm highly sensitive. I always have been. And I think many of you can probably relate. Tammy's approach to, um, to being a highly sensitive human is just wonderful. It makes so much sense. She's such a skilled practitioner you will love her. So I think you'll really enjoy this episode. We cover a a myriad of topics, including recovery and how that has led her to her path and some similarities that, that we both have within our recovery stories. She hosts, Tammy hosts frequent uh, free workshops. And there was one this week on Tuesday. So I'm sorry, this episode's coming out after that has passed, but please keep an eye on her website for future free workshops. And in other news this month in the self-love project, we are focusing on body image, which is is such a great topic, I think, as it pertains to self-love. For me, I'm, I think about this topic a lot, including yesterday when I was like at a waterfall in my bathing suit and like saw myself in pictures and, and just watched what my thoughts did around body image and how that was different than say 20 years ago when I really struggled with body image. But still, just to notice what creeps in, what's still there, and and how I get to be present and partner with myself through it. So I'm really stoked that we are focusing on that this month in the Facebook group. If you aren't a part of the group, please join. It's called the Self the Self Love Project, and I will put a link in the show notes. Without further ado, um, I'm going to go ahead and get going with this episode with Tammy because it's fantastic, and I had the the beautiful opportunity to do some family constellation work with her after this interview at a, at a later time. And I highly recommend it. It's, um, it's amazing work. I didn't know a lot about it myself and I, yeah, I highly recommend it. I'll leave it at that. Please take care of yourselves out there. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you like the podcast, please tell one friend about it. Please like, and subscribe so that we can continue to grow and spread the message of being sober and thriving, of thriving in recovery, of thriving in our humanness and moving through life with the full, you know, the full capacity of our beings. So it's so great. And it's, it's a worthwhile endeavor for our human lives to endeavor to be fully alive. All right. Have a great, uh, enjoy the episode. Have a great day. Thank you all so much. Hi, and thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Beyond the Pink Cloud. This is your host, Dr. Alice Kirby. And with me today, I have Dr. Tammy Roth. She is a a PhD. She is a psychotherapist and now works primarily as a professional coach. And when I asked her to like 
to define how she would like me to, to introduce her. She told me that the work that she does now, and I really love this, Tammy, is guiding people at the soul level and getting underneath personalities. I'm really happy to speak with you today. So thank you for being here. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about my favorite subject. Yay. I know. I feel that way too. <laughs> it's, it's great. I'm really excited to learn more about your work and, and what you do. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey and kind of what led you down the path that you're on and the work that you do? Sure. So I, I spent the first 15 years of my professional life in corporate America, overachieving, burning the candle at both ends, that kind of thing. And and was also a very heavy drinker and kind of started burning some bridges to where started seeking that geographical relocation. And part of mine was through a career change. And so switched directions and went to grad school, became a therapist and, and thought that through that process, I might get the drinking under control. Not true at all. It if anything, it got worse. And although I was very high functioning, so I, I didn't identify as an alcoholic or, you know, it was just like, oh, and really the drinking wasn't so much a problem. It was the hangovers that were the problem. And, and I say that kind of laughing, but, but seriously, that probably was the biggest problem because of so much depression, so much depression, anxiety, and, and I didn't have any external consequences, really. They were all internal and they were pretty they were pretty severe. I mean, I got to the point of um, really being suicidal. And so anyway, went through grad school, became a therapist, continued working as a therapist, even though I had this drinking problem and carried so much shame about that. There was, you know, the story I made up in my head was that a therapist would, you know, would not, no therapist in the world would have a problem like this, which now I know many of us have struggled with it, but eventually the anxiety and depression is how I hit bottom and, and did everything possible before the very last thing of getting sober. I had always been somebody who I really took care of my health in every other way. And excuse me. And, you know, very fit, ate right, all even meditated yoga, all of that, but had the drinking issue. So, so when I finally did get sober, it was like everything else was in order and sobriety, like once I committed to sobriety, my life just blossomed like crazy. And I've never looked back. I'm one of those fortunate people that it, like, I just, I, I knew I would always be sober because it was, it was just like, oh my gosh, this is what I've been seeking my whole life. And, and it's been, it's been a real spiritual journey that has, that's never stopped. And I'm very much a seeker and, and it really ties into how I work now, as far as part of after getting sober, then I discovered that I was highly sensitive and had never, never known that. And once I started exploring being highly sensitive, I discovered the far end of the scale of being highly sensitive, which is being an empath. And once I opened that door, it's, it's just, it's shifted how I live, how I function and how I work. And I really enjoy working with other women who are curious about their own sensitivities and, you know, are exploring that. Thank you so much. I loved hearing more of your, your story. I relate to so much of it too. I, 
I too went through like my doctorate program and I had all these other pieces of health in order, but the drinking just really took me down. It was, it was difficult and being in a health related field, I think it does come with a certain amount of guilt or shame or it did for me as well. So I'm, I'm really happy we're both here and, and sober. And I relate too to that idea of just the life really opening up with sobriety and, you know, feeling like this is it, this is this is the piece that was really missing. And I'd love to talk more about your work with highly sensitive people and, and empathetic people, because I feel like empathy or being empathetic can sometimes get a really bad rap. And I see this a lot in the sober community too, where people, you know, quit drinking, get sober, but then they, they discover they're highly sensitive and it almost feels like a weakness or, or a curse. And clearly you've been able to, to find the strength in it and the power in it. And I know you work with women to that effect. Could you tell us a little bit about maybe the distinguishing being an empath versus what is empathy and just a little bit more about how we can come into our strength as highly sensitive people? Right. Yeah. And I especially love talking about all the stigma that goes with it. But, you know, as recovering people, we're, we're used to that stigma. So it is, it is something we can overcome for sure. So, so empathy is, I understand how you feel, you know, it's like, oh, as an alcoholic, as, you know, comparing our stories, I I can really understand and relate to how you feel. Whereas an empath is being empathic is I feel what you feel. And a lot of times I don't even Mm. know that it's yours instead of mine. Like we empaths. So there is a highly sensitive person scale and, you know, it's a spectrum and it's, it's a trait. It, it's not a diagnosis. It's not a pathology. There is nothing wrong with anybody who's highly sensitive. As a matter of fact, there's so many things that are amazing about being highly sensitive, but the world kind of informally designates it as a problem. And it's the only time it's a problem is when we don't recognize it. We don't care for ourselves as a highly sensitive or as an empath. So the empath is, is the farthest end of the scale, meaning the nervous system is most sensitive is, and you know, it actually is a nervous system issue. I don't want to say it's not a problem. It's just, it's a trait. It's a nervous system trait to where you feel everything, not just through your five senses, but also through your sixth sense and energetically. So, you know, everything through the five senses can be really intense, bright lights, strong smells, coarse fabrics, all that kind of stuff can just be a little bit overwhelming for a highly sensitive person. And then for an empath, it's all of that. Plus, energetically, we can be overwhelmed because we're picking up everything. And if we if we're not aware that we're just this energetic sponge, it can just it can be incredibly dysregulating and overwhelming. But once we learn, oh, this, you know, this isn't all mine, I'm just picking things up in the environment or from this person or from my friend or from my partner. And once we learn that, and learn how to take care of ourselves and that, you know, managing that, it just opens up so much because it, it really becomes like the superpower then where we we're able to really tune in to like the 
the deeper aspects of life, the mysteries of life and an empath, a highly sensitive person is going to be much more tuned in to art, music, nature, spirituality, intuition, all the things that happen in the right brain is, are going to be a lot more, just more expansive for the, the highly sensitive empath. And I just, I got distracted because I'm looking outside and there were these three deer and they were chasing each other. And, so, you know, just things of beauty like that. It's like, oh my gosh. And it's like, wait, no, I'm here. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> being drawn to things like that and just, you know, especially once you, you open to it, it's just like, there's so much beauty in the world. And there's also a lot of dark, divisiveness, heaviness right now. So it, it's like learning how to manage being so open when, when the world can be so harsh. Yeah, absolutely. And I love everything you said. And Tammy has this beautiful background. I can see with lovely art and then just green, green, green. So I can imagine those little deer wanting to come close to your home and be part of it. And I love that you, you really broke down the distinction of that there is a spectrum and that it's not a pathology. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you to be highly sensitive. And in fact, it actually can, can be this expansive piece where we are able to take in more beauty and notice more of like the pleasurable aspects of life, because I do think it's, it can be really easy. You know, we have that negative bias in our brain to, to just focus on what's wrong or what do I need to fix? And I see this a lot in the self-help world and I've got to do all this work on myself. And, and sometimes I think really the, the, the work is just slowing down and, and taking a moment to notice the deer, you know, and notice where there are these, these expansive qualities that help to light us up and connect us back to ourselves. So it's really beautiful how you explained all of that. And I would also say that, you know, probably, that's probably one of the hardest things about being an empath is really committing to yourself. Rec first of all, recognizing that highly sensitive only make up 20% of the population. So we're wow. the minority to start with. And then we live in this culture that is so fast paced. I mean, it's so fast paced, even the non-sensitive, it's too, it's too fast for them as well. But it's incredibly dysregulating for those of us who are so sensitive. So the challenge becomes, am I going to really honor my sensitivities and do things that are outside the, the cultural norm to take care of myself? And then when we do, that's when things really open up. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that really t just touches me personally. Cause I feel like that's been the bulk of my work the past three years is just allowing for some of that, that goodness and that slowness and the recognition of how my system needs to move in the world. So oh, really that's making me tear up. It's just beautiful to recognize and to, to honor ourselves. Right. And, and I, when I, sometimes the work that I do is around helping women and certainly helping myself to differentiate between what is mine and what isn't mine. And I'm curious if you have any practices to that effect that you found particularly helpful either for yourself or for the work you do for anyone who's just coming into this bit of knowing that they're, they're highly sensitive or empathetic and wanting to have more distinction of what's mine and, and what isn't. I mean, I think it's not, it's not one of those things where there's just, you know, a trick and a tip it, that mm -hmm. it really it really becomes changing the way you live and that it goes back to that foundation of slowing down and really becoming internally focused instead of being so externally focused. So that 
that's the the foundation of like really getting to know myself and getting to know myself at that deep soul level, which is, you know, that's what I get excited about really helping women be able to discern and listen to that inner voice and listen to their body, you know, all of, all of that. But then have also having like a continuous practice, like finding what works for each person, but it needs, it really, it needs to be daily, like really, you know, there's self-care, but then there's also soul care. So taking Mm. it to an even deeper level. And I got this image one morning, right as I was waking up. So it was in that kind of, you know, dreamy time. And this image came to me and I I took it seriously because it was in that in-between time. And I got this image of how those of us who are highly sensitive, that our souls are a little bit closer to the surface than the other 80%. So it's not just a nervous system thing that it, it really is like this deeper part of ourselves is closer to the surface. So from one standpoint, it's like, it's so much easier to feed the soul. It's so much easier to tap into all the beauty and the the, the magic and the wonder and the mystery in the world. And because the soul is a little bit closer to the surface, all the harshness of the world is out there too. So there's this, this responsibility of really caring for the soul and nurturing. So there's self-care, but then there's this soul care. And so I think those two things are the foundation of really being able to start to differentiate because you get to know yourself, but then just some like basic day-to-day kind of tips that, because I mean, this has been a focus of mine for over a decade, but I still, you know, I'll be going through my day going, what is wrong with that? You know, I felt great well ago and all of a sudden my energy just crashed. It's not like I just ate sugar, you know, what, Oh, wait, I was just with so-and-so. And so I'll stop and just like do a dry brush across my body and like, what's not mine, please leave. And just kind of, mm. or, or like take Epsom salt or something like that and go wash my hands, letting, you know, just being intentional about doing something that kind of intentionally separates my energy from that person. And it's not just, it's not just emotional and energetic. A lot of times empaths pick up physical symptoms. And so we may be walking around with like chest pains or a real physical symptom kind of person. And finally learned, it's like, you know, I take really good care of myself. So usually when symptoms are coming up, it's now I'm like, oh, wait a minute, this probably isn't mine. And I do the same thing you know, just clear my energy, what's not mine, please leave. And, you know, I I can really care about that person, but their symptoms are not mine to carry that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. Again, that distinction. And I I know you work with a lot of healers and um, I was a massage therapist for a long time before I went to PT school. So I think that was something I had to learn really early on too, was this idea of when you're that close of physically touching someone and there, there is that energetic exchange, how to, yeah, create that distinction. Yeah. And social media is a big, yeah. one. Oh, it's so exhausted. Yep. <laughs> yes. I was going to ask that actually just about interacting online with people. Do you do the same thing? I know trying to minimize those interactions has been pretty helpful for me. And I would recommend that to almost anyone who, who can feel the effect of it. Yeah. I, 
I toyed with the idea of like going off of social media, but I decided that there are enough benefits that I want to stay on. But now I'm just, I'm very intentional about it and notice when, you know, when I start, for me, it kind of goes into my thinking. I start obsessing about, I can't believe that person said, you know, and I just feel way too deeply. And three days later, I'm still, it's still with me. So that, that is my, like, I can start feeling that build and I will, I'll just kind of do a fast. I'll, I'll go off for, you know, about three days, take it off my phone, that kind of thing. But, but for me, it's, there's a, and I also have gotten rid of any device, you know, the, the people who are just ongoing divisive and poking and whatnot, I, I don't follow or engage with them. So I've really tried to keep it to where for the most part, it's, an informative, uplifting means for me and a way to connect. But yeah, that, and it's that self-awareness, like knowing, oh, okay, I've been on, there's been too much. I need to back off again. Yeah. I think the self-awareness is where just everything begins. Exactly. And that's where that, you know, really slowing down, committing to ourselves and, you know, self-care I think of self-care as being like, there's, there's all the things we can do as far as, you know, sleep, eat, you know, exercise, all those water. What? Yes, absolutely. And, but then there's what I call relational self-care where like really being willing to disappoint other people to care for, you know, take care of my needs. And that that's the hardest self-care because, you know, usually it's like, well, okay, this one thing's not going to be that big of a deal. And then the next one things, you know, and it just builds up. And then before we know it, we're overwhelmed. So I think, you know, really practicing, learning to say no and, and practicing disappointing people, because as an empath, it's so painful to disappoint somebody. We don't want to disappoint people, but they get over it. It's okay. And we're modeling, taking care of ourselves. Yeah which is huge. Do you find that most empaths are also introspective or introverts? There's actually, there's research on it. And I think the research says there are more introverts, but there are, there are definitely extroverted empaths. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, there are. Okay. Just curious. Yeah. That's interesting. I'd love to read some of that research. Yeah. Judith Orloff is a really good she's a a psychiatrist and she's pretty much made it her life's work studying this and I think for extroverted empaths it gets confusing because they still need quiet and alone time to help calm the nervous system but then there's this part of the personality that wants to process externally and engage so I think it's actually it's harder for an extroverted empath yeah, I would see that being confusing about where do I get fed and where where can I get my need my needs met. Right. Do you have any other daily practices? And because you've been doing this work for so long and through your sobriety, I'm curious as if there's any practices that you have really stuck with through, you know, through the decades that or or just practices that you enjoy doing now that help you with all of this. Yeah. Um it, it I think my own self-care, soul care practice, that's been like this ongoing, you know, in the beginning, it was kind of a short, get it done in the morning kind of thing, almost something to check off. And through the years, I've just, I've really 
given myself permission to, I don't work nearly as much as I used to. I have a very long, luxurious morning practice and it's not about checking it off. It's about really dropping into it and being with it. And the, well, I'm trying to think of the thing. I guess I'm kind of stuck with everything. I know the things that for me, that depression is, you know, the alcohol, I don't think about alcohol, but at all, but it was the depression that was going to take me down. So I feel like that my self-care is more about uh, keeping myself in a, in a energetic state where depression doesn't come back in. And so for me, meditation is a non-negotiable. That's a daily practice. Now, what kind of meditation that differs all the time? I'll, there's a lot of different techniques that I've used through the years and I'll do something for a while and then I'll switch. Kundalini yoga, I'll, I'll do vinyasa, but I always come back to Kundalini just because of that energy. It, it just keeps everything in a, a higher frequency for me. And then my diet and exercise are really critical, the gut health and as far as mood and all of that. So that those four things are just non-negotiable for me. Like I have to, I have to eat well mm -hmm. and sleep. I have to, I'm like a baby. I have to be <laughs> fed, sleep, you know, and that's the thing is, you know, it's like, I've got to treat myself that way. And I, I've, over the years, I've taught the people around me. It's like, yeah, I know I'm like having this toddler that you, but that's what keeps me not crazy. And people around me want me not crazy because they've seen me crazy. Nobody wants that. <laughs> I love that though. And because I think we should take that kind of care of ourselves. Like we are these sort of precious little children, you know, and our, a lot of times we have these younger nervous systems even, or these younger parts of ourselves that just as humans, we need these, these essential things like rest and water and nutrients. So, I mean, what a beautiful practice to have those as non-negotiables, just part of your life. Yeah. And, you know, I think the other thing about, about treating ourselves that way is especially for those of us who are in recovery. And I mean, I, I spent a few years as a clinical director at a women's treatment center. And I started, I got curious about all the women that were coming through if they were highly sensitive or not. And so informally, I started giving people the assessment and they were all highly sensitive. And so I have my own informal bias that I think most of us in recovery are sensitive underneath it all. And for most of us, that wasn't recognized in childhood, except to, you know, toughen up, what's wrong with you, you know, that kind of thing. We weren't nurtured. And the research shows that if a highly sensitive child is really nurtured according to this trait, and, you know, they're, they're allowed to be their highly sensitive self, they actually become much more um, successful and able to manage everything than a non-highly sensitive person. And, but the, the opposite is also true that if, if the highly sensitive child is not, if that trait is not honored and recognized, then they have a much harder time in life. So I think for most of us, we didn't get what we needed, no matter how loving our parents were, they just didn't, didn't know what to do. Didn't know. Right. So it's, it's like, okay, let's, let's re let's redo that. And like, how, how would I really want to be treated as this? sensitive being. Yeah. 
and then how empowering that we get to do it ourselves and not just be a victim to it. So. Yeah. What a, gr- what a great way to look at it. What a switch, you know, from like, Oh, I'm, I'm empathetic. I just can't do this, this, and this, cause I'm too sensitive. I hear that a lot. And it, I, I always, that's why I'm so happy to talk to you because to have someone who's an expert and explain some of these practical strategies is like, no, it, it isn't a bad thing. And I, I like how on your website too, you mentioned this, this part of not having your emotional needs met as a child, it really is a form of trauma in, in how our system perceives it and to, to treat it as such and to work on it in a way that's like healing the nervous system and healing the, the trauma. I like that perspective a lot because I think there's still, um, a misconception around trauma that it is, you know, a really an isolated event or a series of, of really large isolated events, which certainly it can be, but this idea too, of as a highly sensitive person, as a child, not having needs met, it shows up as trauma in our systems. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it, you know, it's developmental trauma. It, it really affects how mm -hmm. we develop and then how we live. Yeah. And, you know, I wanted to go back to that, that whole concept of if we're constantly investing in ourselves and taking care of ourselves, the other thing I've seen, and this came, this came through an interesting process for me is I had scheduled to go on this retreat that was, that was going to like, there weren't a lot of luxuries involved and it was also, there was no air conditioning and it was incredible heat, humidity. There were, you know, bring things, be prepared for scorpions and stuff, you know, oh, where was it in Mexico in the summer? And so it was getting close to time to go. And all of a sudden I thought, what am I doing? I'm too sensitive for this. I, you know, I'll never survive. And so I meditated on it. And what I got was, yes, I'm sensitive and I'm also resilient. And because I'd been investing in, you know, kind of like filling my tank that, I could go and I had that resilience. And so I did go and it, it did push me to some edges, but that was what I needed at that time. And it really helped me break through to the next level. So, you know, it's, it's not that I just go through life going, Oh no, I can't do that. You know, I'm not just this precious, you know, Mm -hmm. being that's going to be shattered. It's like part of the self-care is building the resilience, but then I choose you know, what I'm going to do. It's beautifully articulated. Great example too. Scorpions are scary. That would make me take pause. And I'm a pretty tough lady with the wilderness, but yeah, it's neat that, that you win. And I love the idea of I'm highly sensitive and I'm resilient, you know, and I invested myself to build that resilience, such a key component of life. Right. Right. And it, you know, it's an empowered approach instead of being a victim once again, you know, yeah. Yeah. Which feels so good. Just feels good to know that we have choice that we can act on our own choice. Right. Yeah. And that's part of taking care of ourselves too, is to go ahead and act on, on choice and to trust our choices. Right. And there were two scorpions in my room. So oh, no. <laughs> I lived in Costa Rica for a while and I was, oh, I remember we had a couple in our room. I shared this room with this girl and she, she killed one with like this log and the sound it made, I oh, will never forget that very crunchy scorpion death sound. Yeah. You don't, you don't want to mess with them. Gosh, I have so many things that I want to know about, but maybe could you just share a little bit about the family constellation work you do as well? Like what is family constellation work? Yeah, I'll start by saying it's 
it's an energy. Some people call it shamanic work because you're, you know, really going into the family soul and it, it's, it's an energetic practice and it's, it's called a phenomenological approach, meaning you can't explain it. So it's always so funny that I'm always trying to explain something that really is inexplicable, but I think I've kind of narrowed it down to give the gist of it. And that is that, you know, all indigenous cultures rely very much on their ancestors and they don't view the ancestors as being gone once they leave this physical body. It's just our Western culture that kind of, you know, when somebody dies, it's just kind of over and done. And so part of this is like really reclaiming the fact that our ancestors are always with us, but then it's also going in and doing this deep healing because what happens in family systems is if things like, if big traumas, hard truths, things like that don't get acknowledged, if, if it just happens and nobody ever talks about it or, you know, or somebody in the family is excluded, you know, if the alcoholic, the, the mentally ill person, you know, the gay person, the, those kind of situations in families where, oh, we just don't talk about that. When those kind of things happen, it, it creates tension in the, the energetic field of the family. And that doesn't go away because energy never dies. So what happens is in that generation, if it didn't get resolved, that tension just goes to the next generation, but it'll show up in different ways. And so then in that generation, if it doesn't get resolved, it's like it just kind of keeps building and there's more energetic entanglement and tension. And so then it'll show up as things like chronic health issues, mental health issues, addiction. Addiction's a big one, a big way that it shows up. And so what we can do is we really, we drop beneath the story, we drop beneath the personalities and we go into, it's in constellation work, we call it the knowing field. I would also call it the quantum field, the energetic field that just holds the memory of everything. And, and we go in and there are techniques to help those entanglements and that tension to relax. And so once that relax relaxes, it allows the energy to flow and the love to flow through the generations. So then we end up having our ancestors really supporting us and behind us as a resource. And, and it also helps the ancestors because they're not entangled in another realm. So it's- Wow, it sounds incredibly powerful. It's very powerful. Yeah. And that's where, you know, having worked as a therapist and so much on, on the personality level, the ego level, once I found this, it was just, you know, I've always taken a holistic approach, no matter what I'm doing, you know, let's get to the root. But this was like really going to another level of getting to the root issues. So, so that's pretty much, that's the bulk of my focus now with work. Is the family constellation work? Yeah. I could see why it sounds like that. Do you see big changes in the people that you work with after like in their own back to sort of the personality or ego or daily life level? Do you see big changes happen for them after doing some of that deeper soul work? Yeah, it's, it can be really, really phenomenal sometimes. You know, I've heard from a lot of people that 
it's like, I'm, you know, I've been working on this in therapy for so long because ultimately if somebody's going to therapy on something that is not really theirs, it's like, you just keep going and talking about right. it. And it was, if it's never yours to begin with, how are you ever going to get to it? So, and, and I'm not against therapy in any way, but I think especially for people who have, you know, it's like, oh, I've worked on this. I don't know why it's not getting better than constellations can really can really move the energy and the beauty of it is that it's not going to affect just your life, but it's going to, it's going to ripple out and affect the whole family system. So that's another thing I've seen over and over is just how relationships shift and change and, and the, the other people don't have any idea that any of this work has happened. It's just that the energy allows the love to flow. That's great. Sounds wonderful. Sounds easier than trying to do family therapy with people that are unwilling or that are, that have passed away. Right. <laughs> it's like a little, not sneaky, but a little bit, yeah, just going deeper. And I like that you talk about the quantum field as the, how did you describe that? The energy that holds all the memories of, of everything ever. Yeah. 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 It, it doesn't go away. So. so great to acknowledge that that's there. And that it, it does contribute to how we feel and to how we live our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Especially chronic health issues. Cause the other thing is patterns will keep repeating in family systems. They may not look exactly the same, but patterns just keep repeating. So if there's something that, and that's usually where I'll start is, you know, like what's not working in your life. And, and then we'll say, well, can you think of anybody, you know, parents, grandparents that, and it, it, there's a lot around the language too. So whatever somebody presents, I'm kind of listening for any patterns in that. And so a lot of times just in the interview alone, we can start identifying where it might've originated. But, but as a therapist, the really interesting, the interesting thing and the really exciting thing to me is I have to let go of any preconceived ideas. And so we, we, bring in individuals will represent. So if we were doing a constellation for you, we would have other people, rep somebody represents you, somebody represents your mother, somebody represents your father. And you may have told me the story, which is at the personality level, but then ultimately we're going to see what happens when these people step in and start representing because they have the representatives get immediate access to the ancestors and the energy flows. And so my job is just to sit back and be willing to be surprised and for it not to match the story and, and follow the thread that way. So I think also as, you know, kind of a seasoned therapist, it's fun because I never know what's going to, you know, what's going to happen. And it's a mystery. I could see that. That'd be fun and interesting. It sounds wonderful. I, I talked to another man a while back who also did family constellation work, but I, I didn't quite understand it the same way of how you just explained it. I've been curious about it. So thank you. And thank you so much for being here with me today, Tammy. Is there anything that you'd like to, to share with the audience or to promote any of your own work, anything that you have currently, currently going on or any last words of, of great wisdom? You've already shared so much with us. Yeah, I have started offering free empath workshops just because I recently did another webinar on this topic and it it 
when I saw how much interest was out there for, especially for women in recovery, it's like, okay, I want to make this, I want to share what I've learned about it. So just on my website, there's a link for free empath workshop. And the next one is going to be Tuesday night. I think that's May 4th. So I'll, I'll just keep those ongoing. And I would say the, for anybody that's interested in this kind of work, if they just sign up for my newsletter, that's the, and it's on the website, that's the easiest way to connect. And I, I always try to provide things that are free or really reasonably priced as well as, you know, the, the whole spectrum of services. So that's wonderful. That's great that you're doing. I saw that on your site that you're doing the free empath workshop. I'll definitely share that in my own Facebook group and around my community because there are so many people interested in this topic. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. You're welcome. Well, thanks so much for being here. It's really a pleasure to, to speak with you today and spend time with you. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Thanks. We'll see you next time, everybody.